You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show. I am your host, Natalie Cutler-Welsh, and we're listening to Reality Check Radio. Today, we're talking about the topic of keeping kids safe. I'm very thrilled to be talking to Sheena Mali. She's a mom of four. She lost three jobs due to the mandates after 24 years in teaching. Um, and she's a she's on a sheep farm in the top of the South Island. Welcome to the show, Sheena. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a great honor. Big adventure. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just so excited to see where this interview goes. I really would love to dive in in a minute. I'd love to dive into basically what are they teaching our kids is my overarching question for you. Uh, but before we do that, how have the last three years been for you? Oh, a roller coaster, like jumping out of a plane with with no idea of where we're heading. Uh, I, I did have three jobs. I was starting a business that I'd been working on um, that I lost under the health mandate, uh, working with a couple of big companies and contracting to them and the Ministry of Health. And then I uh, lost the teaching. I was doing relief teaching at the time. I lost that under the education mandate. And then I was working at the local pub and I lost that under the hospitality mandate. So there was no hiding. Um, I, I lost very public jobs. There was no hiding my stance on, on what went on. And that was a really big uh, change for me, being a people pleaser and a teacher and being seen to do the right thing. Um and all of a sudden being ostracized. It was a massive journey. Well, I'm so thrilled that we're, we've been connected because, you know, sometimes it is divine timing. I put out that I was going to be doing this topic and I had a lot of people connecting with me. Our mutual friend, Nikki, um, connected you. And she. I, I remember you saying that you, you just felt like you wanted to serve. You wanted to share wisdom or you'd play your part. And suddenly this invitation to talk to me came in crazy <laughs> I was are. looking up at the heavens saying what can I do with this knowledge and experience and I have such a passion but I just don't know what to do with it and you know I just asked if there's something I'm meant to do make it happen and two days later here I am so thank you yeah amazing well, you've been through tr definite trials and tribulations with the mandates and I know that everyone listening has been through their own version of of that through these through these times. One of the things many of us are super concerned about is what is going on in the schools in terms of curriculum and in terms of the culture that's being created and the topics that are being discussed or not discussed. And having been a teacher for 24 years and I know you're I think you're from Australia, you've worked in Australia and New Zealand. And I know that you're currently still relief teaching, so you've got your finger on the pulse. I've got three kids at three different schools. I'm trying to keep my finger on the pulse. What are they teaching our kids and what should we be concerned about and what can we do about it? Yeah, I, this issue is so big and so broad. And um, I'm a Kiwi, actually, but I spent a long time in Australia, hence my slight twang. Mm -hmm. um, and then I taught um, overseas as well. And so having taught in lots of different contexts, you can see over the years how curriculums have changed and that they influence directly from the political agenda. Um, we used to joke in um, in the staff room, oh, it's, you know, the election's coming up. I wonder what new logo we're going to get, what new buzzword we're going to get, what push is going to be within, this, within the classroom because it really is politically orientated 
And I think the greatest concern that lots of us share as parents and as teachers and just people in society is what is the political agenda behind what is going on? And the greatest concern that I have is how insidious it is, that it it seems to slide in and it's all under the guise of tolerance and um, inclusion and sustainability, which are all good concepts, which I would have fought for. But they come um, as a Trojan horse. And behind that, there is something really malicious behind it all. And I think that is the greatest concern um, that I have with the curriculum. On the surface, everything looks pretty wonderful. But what's going on in the classrooms is what we're seeing in the overall narrative of what we see on the news, they're saying one thing, but the actual ramifications mean something so different. And uh, yeah, that, that, you know, the little slogan, be kind, I I wanted to get a slogan that said, actually be kind. Mm. And that's what's going on in the classroom, like actually care about sustainability, actually care about inclusion of all opinions. And that is my big concern with the curriculum is that on the on the surface things look pretty great but the the outsourcing to different organizations outside of the teacher and what they their overall peripheral their authority is quite shocking so once upon a time just to uh give you an example to put a Band-Aid on a child in a classroom or to put sunscreen on a child in a classroom, you would check their files in case they had an allergy, mm. in case they reacted to a certain glue. It, it, it's become so that a teacher can't do anything without checking. However, the last three years, particularly the last year and a half, what we've seen is that a teacher has no ability to have any um, inquiry or concern and the blanket kind of overall authority, this dystopian nature that we see in society is magnified in the classroom. And that's, is that all ages? Because, I mean, for me, 12-year-old, 14 and 16, but I know they start really young with a lot of this. It is indoctrination. It is weaving in, as you say, kind of the political intentions, the political agenda. Is that like I don't know what age groups you're you're focusing on at the moment, but what like how early do they start doing some of this? So we, I've taught everything from kindergarten to university. So over the years, that's been you know I, I would say that I had a pretty good understanding of most levels of the curriculum. I did my master's in education in trying to teach the kids that no one wanted to teach. Mm. So um, everything from working in housing commissioning areas in broader Melbourne to Aboriginal communities in Arnhem Land. Now, what I saw in, for instance, the difference between the American system or systems abroad in in the Middle East and the like, what I saw was that there was always a kind of a cohesive understanding of what the role of a teacher was, which was to encourage critical thinking, to encourage dialogue, um, whether that was from kindergarten to university, that would be encouraged. That is something that I have seen alter, that, you know, just even having a question is shut down, and that I see happening from a very young age. Now, I'm only teaching at the moment in primary school, so I can only speak of that at the moment. 
but I have children in high school um, and close family members who are in university. And it seems to be the overall conversation is if you have questions, you're put into this camp like we all have been, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, you're dangerous. And that is a really, that is a massive uh, sway to the other side from what I've seen. If that is, if that's what you're looking for, I'm not sure. No, that does, it does, it does help. And that is, I think, partly what a lot of us are concerned about is that kids are being encouraged to just memorize things and to take things as they are, you know, whether it's history or social studies um, and but what one of the things that resonates so much for me is when you talked about the Trojan horse, you know, it's coming under the guise of sustainability. And I'm like you. I mean, I've got a master's of environmental education. I'm eco friendly since for the past 25 years. But I have questions. I don't want I'm not like fully on board with the climate change um, propaganda. So yeah. it's like I'm concerned about what my children are learning and being told and not encouraged to question. And I imagine if they did question, they would get, you know, socially shunned in a way by the teacher as well as probably by the other students. But it definitely. And that is something that has been highly concerning for me. I have known of children, local kids who have been made to sit at the back of the classroom who weren't allowed to bring their books to the front of the classroom because a teacher wouldn't mark them because they were from a family of conspiracy theorists. That type of um, behaviour from a teacher is unheard of. It's appalling. You'd be dismissed on the spot for that type of behaviour. And, um, you know, as a teacher, the waking up has been very painful. You know, I think the waking up for lots of us has been an unpeeling of what we understand to be the whole structures of society. Can we trust the health system? Can we trust the education system? Can we trust trust the political system? And the answer for many of us is no. And that is heartbreaking, um, particularly for someone like me. I was the big believer of the system. Not only was I part of it, I ingrained it. And so there's a lot of guilt that I feel personally, a lot of weight um, in what I've done because I have ingrained this in the next generation and then some. And so I feel an obligation to to speak out and to say, hang on a second, all these things that we took for granted, did we question them? Were we allowed to question them? Because I certainly didn't. I absorbed them and regurgitated them. And, And I see that in, you know, being a teacher, I've done lots of mentoring of graduate teachers And the decline of what I see in graduate teachers across the board is really concerning. Um, And that's not to say they're not working hard and they're not brilliant young people. They are. But what I see coming through in the university systems is so concerning and the focus is all on these big political ideas behind education, not necessarily the nuts and bolts of how to do stuff in the classroom. So an example of that is I had a graduate teacher who was a third-year student who was in my classroom and she misspelled a word on the board. Now, this was a year seven, eight class. That happens. But the word was learn. And when I said to her, this word is misspelled, it's on the board, she said, oh, it doesn't really matter. They'll pick it up. And this understanding that things, you know, predictive texting and, you know, automated spell checks, that that's all that matters and that we're 
putting our continual trust into a digital agenda and not in um, absorbing knowledge ourselves and using that knowledge that we know to be true and not questioning. And I was actually quite shocked and I said, that's the job. Our job is to actually know this stuff and to be able to instruct and teach and inspire. And she was almost indignant with me. And I was, I was quite, I, yeah, I was befuddled. That's the word. I was like, wow, this is our job. And I think the nature of teaching has changed so much in the fact that I am really concerned at the lack of critical thinking amongst teachers, that teachers themselves are so battle-weary and what they are dealing with is so extraordinary that it's too much to actually have to question what they're teaching on top of everything else. And, um, yeah, I'm really feeling for for my fellow teachers. Many of my friends who um, decided to stay when the mandates came in place, many of them are leaving the profession now because it is too much. Many of them are very sick. And it's heartbreaking. And and the oh, just the overall grief of the teaching body is is palatable when you go into the average staff room now. It feels like it's very comparable to the health system, which I'm not going to go into, but you know, overworked, understaffed, a lot of people pressured to get the jab against their wishes to keep their job. Some of them not doing well, you know, immunity-wise, health-wise. Therefore, yeah it exacerbates the problem of overworked and understaffed. And it's the same situation in the schools. I mean, today, perfect example. One of my kids is rostered on to be off school because the teachers, there's not enough teachers. And so like now it's not, it's not a teacher. It's not a teacher only day. It's something about the number. I'm not sure. So I heard a stat around the number of 3000 or so teachers left New Zealand teaching as a result of the mandates, whether that be, they weren't into the jab or they actually got vaccine injured and couldn't return to work. I'm not sure they're on the breakdown, but we have a serious problem on our hands in terms of keeping kids safe in terms of numbers, but also the culture, like you discussed, not only can the kids not question things, the teachers can't even question things among themselves. No, they can't. And the, the fear of losing your job, I would say is now secondary to getting sick and being able to cope in that job. And that's been a big shift. Uh, yeah, there was a lot, there were a lot of people that I personally found um, were very upset and confused by my decision because you're a good person or, you know, you're not meant to be selfish. You're meant to follow the system. This is what you ingrained, you know, do as we say. Yeah. Um, and now that there are lots of teachers who are waking up, the the waking up is very dramatic, I would say. And everything from, you know, I've caught, I've taught climate change for years, but to suddenly come to a place where you question that and you question so much, you question geography. Um, history. Everything, history, you know. And as a, as a teacher now, I go in and it, there is an internal conflict that I'm facing because I'm teaching the food pyramid, which I now question. I then, mm-hmm. oh, now we're teaching climate change. Um, you know, and here's the HPV shots for the next, you know, jibby jab. And there's just one hit after another that as a person who now questions, I look at and I struggle with. And I'm really feeling 
for the teachers who are awake and the teachers who are waking up. I would say the majority are still fast asleep. It's just the the frog is boiling, but they just do not want to wake up, the vast majority. I would say. I I agree. And I want to say a little shout out to our listeners, specifically those listeners that are newly awakened. And some people are offended by that term. I mean, my husband was super offended when I started printing hats that said, wake up and selling them. I've got one. (laughs) (laughs) One of my happy customers. But I think even people listening now, when hearing you talk about now you question the government, you know, the health system, the school system, it's like, wait a minute, they're all interrelated. Yeah. yeah, it's not a conspiracy theory. They are all interrelated. They are yeah. all singing from the same songbook and it's it's not a good tune. Yeah. And I think too when you realize that you have been I- instrumental in the dissemination of that it, it is heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh and it makes it's very confusing and I think our kids as a collective are going through that and the grief that they're now experiencing uh, in the classroom, in society as a whole, particularly I call them free kids. And when I say free kids, kids um, who predominantly come from unvaccinated families, I, I kind of push against that word unvaccinated because it feels like somehow it implies that we're lacking and we're not, we're whole and informed. And so, you know, I'm I'm free. And my kids, they're free. And so I, you know, the free kids in the classroom, I see that they have gone through what I would, you know, I I would compare to my experience of working in refugee schools with Sudanese and Syrian kids who had just come from war-torn zones. I see the same characteristics of collective trauma in our kids and everything from anxiety to shallow breathing, an overreaction to a situation that's disproportionate in the classroom. This is really occurring. Um, the need to escape. So this is can be contributed also to lockdown, but this need to escape into a digital world, the only world that you can kind of feel a sense of security within. I really see that in the classroom. Um, and partly that is there's a massive push within the classrooms to continually provide digital education. So it's it's seen as archaic if you walk into a classroom and they're all working in books from a board and it's, you know, the whole class is doing one thing. Where are the group rotations? Your advisor will say, you know, your supervisor. Um, what digital platforms are you using? And so basic Basic skills are being lost and there is a deep frustration in teachers who have been teaching a long time because we can see that kids cannot do what they could do five years ago or 10 years ago and heaven help us, 20 years ago. What kids were able to do and the standard of work that they were able to achieve and we expected from them is incomparable to now. And you just have to walk into the average classroom and say, do you have a set of class dictionaries? And half the schools I go into, they look at you like you've got three heads because it's all online. You know, the kids in year seven and eight who cannot read a manual map, and I have to call it a manual map because that's what it is. They don't know how to look something up unless it's in Google directions. Everything from from those basic, basic skills of using a compass 
there's an there's an understanding that we're teaching that in schools and so that the kids know this stuff we don't generally have time and half the time we don't have access to those what they consider outdated resources and so when everything is online and there's this complete dependence on what is being fed to us through um government sites through what we are you know websites that we're allowed to look at um then it's all filtered yeah and by the way listeners part. by the way yeah. listeners in case you don't know google is censored you know you can go to other platforms like duckduckgo and mm. you'll find things that you won't find in google so a lot of people don't realize that I think you're right. You know, there is that massive online dependence. And in one of my other interviews, of course, we talk about, you know, digital time and the digital lifestyle Mm. and documentation of everything they do, which is a whole nother side of Mm. keeping kids safe. Um, Before we move to my four questions that I ask everybody, is there anything else you want to share with us? Anything else you've seen or that you're concerned about either for the teachers or under this banner topic of keeping kids safe? So one of my big personal passions is that every class that I teach, I teach different um, kind of living skills, help skills. And one of them is how we push trauma through our bodies. So trauma sits inside us and it can manifest as a headache or asthma. It can manifest as stomach aches that if left unchecked, can perpetually become into something great, you know, far greater, whether it, you know, a migraine or an ulcer that then can go on to be something else. So one of my personal passions is to how to teach uh, different skills so that we can move that trauma through our body. It's free. It's easy. You can teach it to a three-year-old or a 93-year-old. I was teaching it um, with stroke victims. Uh, You can teach it to anyone. And I am really passionate about passing on this information. It's it's pretty much why I wanted to agree to speak today because I just think it's so powerful and I would love every teacher to be teaching it, every parent to be using it. So the basic uh, strategy is that there's, there's three kind of basic exercises. The science behind it is incredibly complex, but the actual uh, actions are so simple that most people... Uh, would dismiss them as being totally irrelevant and and would make no difference at all. And did you want me to go through them? Well, give us at least one. I love giving people practical So one of the simple ones, they're so simple. So you take your hands palm to palm and just rub your fingers one up over on top of the other from palm to palm, rolling the middle finger just up and down your palm, very okay, slowly. Okay, so your hands are going side to side, almost like a metronome. Is that the thing that helps time piano? Okay, right? Exactly, yes. So <laughs> it's just slowly rubbing your fingers up and down. Now, this releases different chemical messages within your brain that tells your brain to calm down and helps you to process. It helps you to process that trauma. This technique uh, was developed by a Dr. Rudin in America. Um, and basically it was used for people with PTSD, people with um, deep ingrained traumas. And what I find is that in the classroom, allowing kids to do this while you're talking, even while they're thinking of something that's upsetting them, they're doing this for themselves and it just brings that calm over them. So the science behind it, it will show you that it will increase serotonin, it will decrease cortisol. There's all types of um, 
different implications for oxytocin. So all of those good chemicals are in there, but it's so simple. Um, and the other one is it's called, you know, it's the hugging one. So you're putting your hands on your opposite shoulders at the front, like crossing over and rubbing your hands down to your elbows and back up to your shoulder blades, almost like you're giving yourself a hug. And this releases chemicals within your body that gives you that oxytocin that tells your body calm, you're safe, you're connected. It's a really good one if you're feeling lonely. Uh, it's It was a really powerful one during COVID. So when the kids were in the classroom and they weren't able to sit next to each other um, and all the isolation that came from wearing masks, this was a really great one to use. The last one, the third activity, uh, is just taking your fingertips to your top of your hairline at the front of your face and just over your forehead, drawing your fingers down to your jawline and just slowly doing that and breathing at the same time. Now, all of these techniques are called havening techniques, havening like a haven. And they're all able, you're able to do them. They You only need to do them a couple of times. The hand gesture is really, you know, publicly um, applicable. You can use that anywhere. You could be at a cafe. You could be in a classroom. That's fine. The hugging one is a little less um, well, a little more obvious, you may not want to do that or the face one, but you'll find that your body would re will relax. And I would challenge anyone to do that when you're in a moment of stress. Um, the kids in the classroom, you know, I'm, I've been talking a lot to kids who are highly traumatized, I would say, and just encouraging them. You know, you, when you go to the bathroom, you can give yourself the hug one and just calm down and breathe. Do that about 20 times. And just focus on how does your body feel. And I find that that is a really effective way. I am really passionate about spreading that on. And the fact that anyone can do it, it's great as a parent. You have a child who's crying about what's going on, stressed about what's going on, rubbing their hands down in that calming motion, which we do naturally anyway, um, is a really good way of them to be able to be calm while they're talking about it and processing that grief and that trauma. I'm so happy that you shared those because I feel like the descriptions were enough for people to picture it hopefully in their minds and mm. be able to use it. We did an episode um, called Navigating Grief and Loss and mm. we had an activity about breathing and people really love that. They love the practical stuff. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that in today. Um, you guys definitely message in, let us know how that resonates. And if you actually end up using it for yourself or your child, definitely let us know. You can text us 2057 or send an email in inbox at realitycheck.radio. Um, hey, I'm going to go to the four questions. Sheena, I'm so happy to have you here today sharing your wisdom. Can you share with us a little example from yourself? What is one thing you've done in the past year? I mean, there's a few things we know that are obvious <laughs> where you truly upped your brave. I've been thinking a lot about this and, you know, I'm sure like we all have those stories about being kicked out of takeaway places with our 11-year-old trying to buy ice cream or, you know, having to speak up against someone that we really admire um, when they're speaking to us terribly. All of those things happened and um, I experienced, you know, a lot of discrimination. The thing that I actually think about that was the bravest thing to me was I was sitting outside of the pub, which is more like a community centre in my tiny wee village, and I was thinking about 
how I was going to face and go back inside. So I'd lost my job with the mandates. It had been a harrowing time, I would say. Um, And because it's a community centre place, it was just so hard to go and to face it. And I remember sitting outside in the car park and breathing and doing those havening exercises and deciding that I was going to walk back in. And I would say that the hardest, bravest thing that I've done in the last three years is actually to forgive, to forgive people because they don't know, they don't understand. Forgive them because they genuinely, many of them thought that they were doing the right thing despite what we could see was going on. And I think forgiving is a is a amazingly brave thing to do. So that's my brave up. <laughs> that is amazing. And lots of people have um, been doing the same. And it's yeah. not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. Um, my, my next question is the bucket list question. Is there anything specific that you want to do, be, or experience in your lifetime that possibly the Up Your Brave RCR community can help with? I would love to be able to use my teaching expertise. I I no longer have a business um, and that's a hurdle that emotionally I'm going to get over. That's my next thing. Um, But if there was anyone who needed someone, a teacher um, with vast experience, particularly in dealing with kids outside of the box, if they needed someone um, as an education consultant, I'd really like to help I can and with what I can. So if anyone is listening, would like that that would be great and uh, I would look forward to that that's amazing and there are lots of kids that do need extra support for whatever reasons traumas dramas there are certain conditions that they might have um and we do want to keep we want to keep kids safe and so it's just people like you that have the expertise I mean I'm not an expert in parenting or teaching um at all but I just want to bring people like you here that can answer the questions for us. Um, What have you got? So you said you're not in business. What is coming up for you and how can people contact you or reach out if they do want to connect? Um, I I will give you my email link. Uh, I don't have anything. I'm not selling anything. I don't have any business per se. So I'm just a a person out there who wants to help. And so I'll give an email attachment and Instagram is fine. And yeah, I just, I just want to be useful and trust the big picture. And I think for lots of us, um, if you're listening and you think I can't do anything, um, what could I possibly do? I think many of us have imposter syndrome and we feel like that, you know, out there, there must be these white hats. There must be these people who are organizing it all. And the realization that it just takes each one of us to do tiny, tiny little things, um, you know, um, saying something, I, I now work often in a cheese shop as well, which is an amazing place in, in um, Nelson, and just saying when people pay with cash, thank you for paying with cash and giving little questions and trying to brighten people's day, just planting that seed um, that there is something else out there, that there is hope. What an amazing time to be alive. You know, if we were going to pick a time right before we came down to this big planet, if we were going to pick a time, this would be the time to come. You know, it's not the Roman Empire. It's not the Second World War. Uh, You know, is it the apocalypse? It feels like it. What a time, you know, amazing. It is. And I do feel positive about it, although we are navigating tricky times at the moment and with relationships and friendships and forgiveness, but we will come out stronger. Is there anything else that you want to add or share with our listeners before we wrap things up? 
I would just say that that everything that is going to be powerful for us is going to be in or around us. It's free. It's already there. It's standing in the sunshine with our feet in the dirt and grounding. It's finding that music with the amazing frequency. It is in the hugs with our children and taking the time to stop. We have been given the most amazing insight to float above what actually this life is about. This life is so big and so amazing, and we are. We're riding through on this crazy roller coaster, not knowing if we're going to get to the other end. So let's make it worth it. Let's enjoy this ride that's so bumpy for what it is. Amazing. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to go and try those techniques. You know, when you were talking about the hug one, you go to the bathroom and, and hug. It's like it's when you fix your hair, that's your reminder. That's your trigger. Yeah. When you go and fix your hair and adjust your hair in the mirror, you know, that's your reminder. Give yourself a little hug. We can yeah. all do that at home. I, I love those practical techniques. Thank you for your uplifting outlook and your very um, insightful wisdom in terms of what is going on in the classrooms. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sheena. Oh, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.